Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, April in the garden. Isn't it glorious? It has been. It's been amazing, Chris. I've never had a birthday with a barbecue at the end of March before. It's the first time I've sat out outside for my birthday. <laughs> That's great. That's really good to but hear. Equally, yeah, I mean, we've had some big winds, didn't we, at the beginning of the month? And mm. Those three storms caused a lot of problems for a lot of people, so not good. But yes, uh, March has turned out to be a, obviously a very mild, a very dry month as well. Lack of rain mm. is probably a bit concerning for a lot of us out there. Um, certainly, I noticed a lot of my pots have needed some extra watering already. Um, and yes, and obviously it's going to continue, if not get, getting worse as we get into high temperatures. Well, yeah, that's it. And obviously the water butts are... Getting drained already, which is not Indeed. a good thing, is it? But hopefully no, we'll get some rain soon and mm. that'll green everything up again. So what's in the news this month then, Chris? There's quite a lot going on, obviously. It's, it's busy um, in the, the, the garden scene as far as the RHS shows. Mulvern is back this month. Brilliant. Um, after having two years of absence due to, to the virus. Um, obviously, three counties showground. I went there many years ago, perhaps one of the, when it first started, to be honest with you. I haven't been right. back since, but it's a wonderful um, showground, obviously, set in the Malvern Hills, yep. um, obviously, and it's um, been promoted as a four-day event. And uh, I believe that uh, good old Monty Don is going to be making a guest appearance, so that should be should be good. And, uh, yeah... I, I think the whole themes, I think, with this year's shows is going to be, obviously, Queen's Platinum Jubilee, so there's going to be lots of references to that too, but it's just good to be back. And it's probably worth just mentioning, Peter, isn't it, just to keep an eye out on these dates for local shows, uh, which yeah. are now being re- re- resurrected, thank goodness, and obviously the RHS shows as we as we look forward to the rest of the summer. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? I've, I've, again, I've never been to the Malvern show, but I hadn't realised quite what a massive show it was. I mean, it's mm. in, and and so garden orientated, isn't it? It is. Yeah, some really good exhibitors there, and a lot of um, a lot of the people who go off to the like to the Chelsea Flower Show. This is their um, this is their dress rehearsal, if you like. They want to get it right, and yep. of course, um, a lot of plants have to be held back for the show and obviously have to be moved forward to to sort of uh, cheat the season. I suspect with the weather as it's been through the month of March, it's going to be quite interesting to see what is in flower and is looking good. And I also noticed they've got um, they've got the usual, obviously, exhibitors there, but they've got a Gardener's Question Time, which obviously is popular at these sort of events too. Excellent. And I see Wales is thinking of eradicating or trying to eradicate mm. the, the rhododendron ponticum, isn't it? That's it is, yeah. It's, it's the one which really does sort of take over. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, rhododendrons are obviously they're, they're not of this country. They're sort of native of the Himalayas, of uh, China. But of course, the conditions in North Wales, as in Scotland, as in the Lake District, are perfect for them to grow really well. And they are beautiful. I think, yeah, I, I appreciate they are very invasive, and once mm. you've got one, they sort of spread and they spread and they spread. But they do look lovely when they're in flower, and obviously for the bees and mm. um, insects, they they form a nice source of food. And you know, from if memory serves me correctly, I think the Turkey, Tur- there's some rhododendrons in Turkey. I think they're ponticums that mm. make a mad honey, which is oh, what's um, that? Oh. It's a, a honey that 
the Turks have been having for many, many years that makes you sort of lightheaded and slightly sort of out of it, I think, oh. is the best way to describe <laughs> okay. it. I'm not, not entirely sure. I've never had it myself, but no. I, I have heard about it. Mm. Yeah, the, so is Ponticum a variety that only grows in acidic or ericaceous conditions? It is. It's, 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 it's a true uh, ericaceous plant. And the thing is, it, it does seem to colonise sort of soil which is quite thin, so hence that's why it tends to be in the more mountainous areas. Okay. Uh, and of course, as uh, the little news story got from uh, uh, Garden News here, they were saying that each plant can shed up to a million seeds a year. There is the problem. It moves around very easily. And uh, yeah. anecdotally, um, I remember many years ago, um, local parks cutting these plants back. And then within four or five years, them being basically replaced by young seedlings, which obviously want to grow. So quite difficult as far as the the management on these hillsides and obviously i can see the the issues it, it could cause but uh, it's a shame for the wildlife if it if they're lost in big numbers but then i suppose the other side of that coin is always mm. if the rhododendrons aren't there hopefully new shrubs and new trees will move in and mm. that will provide the wildlife with some more natural yes. yeah, food sources new, new opportunities i think it. yeah indeed but uh, no i think uh, the suggestion this in the article is that gardeners are perhaps being advised to to swap rhododendron ponticum if they ever grew it in the garden which i suspect not with more named varieties of course at the garden center here we tend to sell the in uh, incara rhododendrons which are grafted varieties which grow on uh, limey soils so isn't it don't they grow anywhere well, they, yeah, they'll grow anywhere, but because our soils in this area is quite um, quite limey, they grow particularly well. So, okay. yes, it has the best. But, but you can grow them in pots. You can grow them absolutely everywhere, and that's why they've become incredibly popular now. They've been around for about 20 years. They were found on a, uh, on a very limey um, quarry, uh, yep. just growing where they shouldn't have grown, and the, the, the wonderful researchers and the breeders in, in Germany then developed them as a rootstock to all the popular varieties we grow now. So good news, and they should be in the garden centre through the month of April and May. So watch out for those if you want to grow a rhododendron in your garden, in your soil. Yeah, because I, I think, personally, I, I, I love rhododendrons. Mm. They're nice and glossy black, sort of dark green leaves, mm. and the flowers are... They seem to go on for a long time. I mean, They're, they're stunning. Uh, they are really stunning. And, yeah. and loads of different colours as mm. well, which is just fantastic, isn't it? It is, yeah. A good plant to, to, to consider and obviously very easy to grow, really. Yeah. That's it. And one that made me laugh, slugs and snails. Yes. They're no longer regarded as a pest. I know. <laughs> I, I, I did <laughs> when they eat all your lettuces, no, they're not no. a pest. They're you know, fine. <laughs> we are in the month of April, and we're, we're obviously we're aware that uh, sometimes uh, stories can be not quite as they seem, but this one is very much true, and it's the RHS have basically reclassified, uh, so they're taking out the classification of a, a, a problem as a, an opportunity to obviously mop up a lot of your... Uh, your other, other pests in the garden. So, in a way, nature's sort of turned on its head a little bit, which is, is good. But I suppose, Peter, at the end of the day, there's so little out there as far as armoury to control slugs and snails. I yep. suppose it only seems right. And, of course, our bird populations are going to obviously benefit from the fact that we're not using those nasty uh, pellets these days as they've been 
withdrawn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I always remember as a child watching thrushes mm. thrashing snails about Ooh. on the paving slabs and <laughs> getting their breakfast. It was, I mean, I, I haven't seen a thrush for a while now. I don't think they're quite as common as they were 20, 30 years ago or even 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that's it. And if we can feed the wildlife mm. with smaller animals down the food chain i guess that's no bad that's, thing is no it? not at all i think i think it's quite a good thing and anyway you know we, we use obviously our armory for slugs and snails where we can control you know the, the or contain them out of the, the problem so I'm, i mean i'm a great advocate of using obviously things like copper tape and i know uh, uh, anecdotally people use things like put uh, pub traps uh, they, the, uh, the beer traps beer yeah trap, I've got yeah. a couple of beer traps down on the allotment yeah. and coffee grounds as course yes. here at the garden centre if you're a local customer to us um, by all means bring a bag and uh, ask uh, if you're stopping for a cup of tea or coffee in the restaurant ask them for some coffee grounds and they'll happily give you some if you're not making fresh coffee at home uh, we've got quite a few kilos of coffee we go through each day so yeah it's a good source of coffee grounds and then holly leaves another one that they don't like aren't they indeed yeah anything which is going to slow their their move and any mulches actually you know you're using a nice bark mulch at this time of year is good that slows them down but remember of course of course if you've got using coffee grounds be careful but if you want to grow lovely pyrus and camellias of course you can use a few coffee grounds around the base of those plants because they actually prefer the the acidity they produce so but use them sparingly in the garden i think that's the that's the key and safety first uh, i i know as a boy my parents i can remember telling me off for pulling the flowers off foxgloves um which should obviously oh not not very good as a child to be playing with such a poisonous plant no. um but the the hta are now pushing forwards a new sort of scheme aren't they mm. yeah so what they've done um this this um report has always been around actually but they've updated it so they work with the uh, the, the veterinary poisons information service so basically it means that the information you get at the garden center when you come to buy your plants yeah. is put on the on the labels of the pots so this information really covers obviously for us humans however they've sort of extended it now to include obviously our domestic pets uh, okay. cats and dogs so i think it's really good and uh, i think it's obviously longer overdue and of course because as well as more people are buying pets and such like over the the the, uh, the lockdown i suppose it's even more important that we know what plants we're, we're putting into our gardens too so uh, yeah because uh, i think i mean obviously alliums are a classic one mm. but my experience of having had dogs most of my life is that generally pets don't actually go for things that are that nasty to them however mm. there are always occasions when they do so it's a really good idea and yeah if we can protect our pets and our neighbors pets then why not yeah and i think it's mainly isn't it it's uh, young young kittens and certainly puppies can be quite inquisitive and they will probably have a, a nibble at things but uh, i mean there's one plant uh, which I, it would be on the list is a, a plant called uh, cherry pie a heliotrope Right. Which is a plant I, I grow in my garden, and um, I didn't I didn't realise it was very very toxic to 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 uh, to dogs until I read a story in America on social media, literally about three years ago, and a dog literally just chewed half a plant, and 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 died very very mm. quickly. And but this plant for us humans, as the name suggests, cherry pie, it has a wonderful fragrance. Right. So you can understand there's a bit of a crossover here of of plants which are attracted to us humans because of the smell. 
and of course the, the downside is of course they can be very toxic to our dogs so i think if you if you're an animal owner it might be worth going onto their website and have a little look through and just make sure that you know you, you know you haven't got those, those sort of plants which might cause problems especially if you've got a young young animal and i see morecambe's um back in the news again uh, morecambe's a a lovely seaside town, isn't it, Chris? I mean, yes. I, I've cycled there from Lancaster and spent quite a few afternoons on uh, mud flats or beach or I don't yes. know what you call it the the, the, the sand the sandless beach. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a little bit like Southport, just a bit further south. Um, yeah, it does like it does like a little bit of uh, a golden sands, doesn't it? Which perhaps Blackpool has. Um, yeah, but, uh, but mm. then the, so the, they're they're going to build a new Eden project up there, mm. which. I, mean, uh, I went around Happy Mount Park, and there's quite. Uh, it's a it's a nice town, to be fair to yes. it. And uh, I think anything that can draw even more people there, and possibly not the the type that go to the likes of Blackpool, just a little way up the coast, to yes. be make it a point of difference, won't it? So. I, I think so, and I think yeah, in its heyday in the Victorian period, it was an incredibly popular. You know go-to destination for uh, certainly in the north it was the the wit weeks wasn't it when all the factories used to close and that's when they used to okay. have this massive migration to likes of blackpool and and, and morecambe but i think yeah putting a putting the eastern projects there uh, 2024 so a couple of years time it's had planning permission now so it's all set to go Brilliant. and uh, bringing this 12 acre um, wildlife meadow is, is a, a really good step to, to sort of greening the area up as well but it'd be interesting to watch and I'm sure it's going to certainly revitalise the whole area which hopefully. Would, be, would be good yeah hopefully yeah, yeah. and equally yeah. you can get there by the train can't you because it's, it's mm, good it's, links. Got, it's the end of the uh, the line as they say <laughs> it is yeah and just off the M6 isn't it so it's nice and yeah, accessible nice and easy yeah, to get yeah. to so maybe yeah. we'll go and have so, a look at that in the next few years indeed something to look forward to and the Pete Free campaign carries on great gaining momentum doesn't it it does yeah in the again the garden news magazine they're highlighting that there's a lot of people getting behind it something like the national trust good old alan titchmarsh is pushing it forward basically they're suggesting that forget 2024 we should be going peat free now okay which is interesting in view of the fact that as retailers are in a, a bit of a, a rock and a hard place we've got a nice range of peat free products on the shelves, but um, yeah. the process of getting as totally peat-free is going to take a little while, as the article suggests. Easier said than done, because, of course, we want to make sure the products we're selling are are workable and are sustainable and, of course, work for the gardener. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? And ultimately, I understand you're doing your own trial at mm. the moment, Chris, and uh, I'm really look, looking forward to hearing how that gets on next month. And because uh, you're trialing, uh, which products are you trialing? Yeah, so I've got a, I've got about uh, three. Uh, I'm using the the Delfoot uh, wool compost, which because yeah, that's wool and bracken, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and a bit of uh, seaweed extract to throw okay. in there. Wow, that uh, should be a good one <laughs> indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm using the, uh, the the New Horizon. Um, that's the West. Product, yeah, 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 and I've also I picked up a bag of um, one from one of the DIY stores, Home Base. They were promoting their uh, peat-free compost, which again looked quite good. They had a, a nice sort of sample of it on the, the side there, and it, it felt good. You know, it's okay. amazing. Get yep. your hands in. So I've got those three. So I've, I've done some sewing. So hopefully next month we can report back and see what germinated well and how the actual management, the actual watering and looking after that compost has taken because that's the thing with peat-free. They are different animals in the yeah. nicest possible way. I, I think that's it and certainly the feedback I've heard is that watering 
potentially needs to be done a lot more frequently um, because the products aren't holding water as the peat-based ones do. So obviously, like you say, yeah, it's just a case of hopefully we can learn to grow things, but it might be a little bit more labour-intensive, might need a bit more food to mm-hmm. keep the water, the plants sort of sustained in their new media, but... yeah. That's life, isn't it? But I think, yeah, I think what, what the article is saying and what we are sort of saying certainly to our customers is, you know, you, you've got to you've got to go that way. With you know, the whole gardening trade has to move that way, but take it in tentative steps. Um, somebody described going, you know, completely peat free. Um, you know, it's almost like you know making a, a your, your place sort of t- totally vegetarian. You take everything off the menu. And in a way that can cause, that can isolate people, can't it? It can make people feel yeah. a bit uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, grab a, grab a bag. If, you, if you're doing your normal planting, give it a go and, and try and let us know on, on Dig It. You know, send us some comments if you find you've had good experiences or bad experiences. But we'd love to... It's really helpful, yeah, because we'll share those with, uh, with, uh, with everyone. And then mm-hmm. hopefully we can all learn a little bit about the, the new way of growing things. Indeed. In We're getting used to new ways these days, aren't we? So this is only just another another way of, of, of sort of limiting our, our knowledge, but also expanding our experiences. That's it. And thinking of new new plants, I saw in the house plant area this week a brand new plant that's just come in, hasn't Indeed, it, Chris? Indeed, yes. I, I, I'd not heard of it before. But Indeed, the... yeah. I've got, some, I've got some details, actually. Um, yeah, Dianea uh, leafimuntia. Okay, and that's the vegan Venus flytrap. That's it? right. It's a, a vegan carnivorous plant. So very new. Um, I think it's limited availability. So you're going to have to... Come in soon if you yeah, want one. Yeah, you need to sort of grab it, you know sooner or later. First of April, I hear, is a good t- a good day to get it. It is indeed, and uh, it, the great virtue, of course, is it. Um, yeah, it's 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 less fussy with its requirements. So yeah, and just leave, lives off leaves. A, yeah, a vegan plant, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to growing it. So what's on this month then, Chris? Yes, well, we're, we're obviously heading to a, a busy time in the, the gardening world, but uh, yeah, the 4th to the 10th of April, we've got uh, Community Garden Week, um, which is an opportunity to for communities and school gardens to share their, their experiences. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously we've got, we're hearing so much more about community work as far as creating gardens, certainly over the last yep. few years, maybe... Um, and we're going to find out more and obviously schools obviously now are part of that uh, uh, involvement with their programs of including a bit of horticulture into their national curriculum yep. uh, they're all obviously being encouraged to do that and it's it's good news to see that so that's that's encouraging and uh, certainly at the garden center here we're we're trying to get more involved with local schools uh, which is because yeah, you're good. off to Winslow is it next week to... yeah I've got yeah I've got um, yeah Buckingham primary school and uh, and then hopefully in the next next few weeks we're hopefully going to to Winslow um, school as well so see what they're they're doing there and obviously give them some information advice and try and nurture the next generation as we as we can well i always remember as a child growing cress Mm. and such an easy one to grow and so fantastic on your sandwiches and still grow it today peter still like to grow it yeah. It's certainly no, but equally, I, I don't know what I've done recently. I tried to grow some cress with Freya not that long ago, 
and I got 0% germination Ooh, this Lord. last time. Okay, <laughs> right. So uh, I think I might need to you know, go back to school and do some <laughs> more training on how to grow crabs. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. And um, master classes at the garden centre? Yes. What, what are we doing this month? Yeah, so through, uh, we've got, we, well, we're changing the format slightly, Peter. So instead of just doing the Wednesday one at four, we're doing one on a Saturday at, at, on the 16th, okay. which is going to be in the afternoon so I'm, I'm here on that, that that weekend so we'll be doing container gardening so it's creative pots and baskets so actually it's a talk where I don't rely on powerpoint and slides I actually get my hands dirty which is brilliant yes yeah. so we'll, we'll talk about container gardening or we'll be talking about sort of lasagna planting uh, yep. for summer displays and we also obviously look at the hanging baskets the, you know, the, the thrillers the spillers and the fillers to give your hanging baskets that little bit of wow for this summer so that's uh, I'm looking forward to doing that one that sure brilliant be yeah nice. I love hanging baskets I mm. mean I know when I went to Pershaw and they sort of showed you various different ways of doing them and how many plants you need but mm. ultimately they're fairly easy to plant up and from my experience as long as you water them and remember to water them yeah. at least um, two three times a week shall I say oh yes 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 <laughs> maybe more preferably every day <laughs> every, <laughs> sometimes yeah. life doesn't allow for it but yeah. that mm. you can get I mean, just like the trailing lobelia hanging mm. out of it. you can do such simple mm. hanging baskets with maybe just two or three varieties of planting yeah. or you can do the full on masterpiece which Goes on for months and months and yeah. looks amazing all the time. Indeed, and I might obviously reference the fact it is the good old, uh, you know, the platinum jubilee. So you might want to do something very patriotic. Yes. A bit, bit of red, white, and blue. Maybe might get away with that this year without uh, seeing to be. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, hanging your baskets containers are very much about you, the person. So you could get as creative as as you like, and that's that's the fun of doing them. I think. Definitely. And um, obviously Easter weekend coming up, mm. we're shut on Easter Sunday, aren't we? But yeah. open around, obviously, historically, garden centres, mad, mad, mad weekend, isn't it? So it is, yeah. A real good one to get out and hopefully the weather will be nice and warm. Indeed. And we might be able to be barbecuing as well. Indeed, yes, barbecuing. And remember, you know, Good Friday, traditionally, you look in all the old gardening books, you always say, get your main crop potatoes in. So it's, it's the, the day if you want to literally follow the you know the gardener's almanac. The it's, gardener's Bible, yeah. Yes, that's you, don't, it. you need to do that. But no, it's a good good time. And uh, with, with the season as it's been, obviously, this, this last month, I'm sure we're going to be into a, a good sort of planting season. And I always say as well, you know, if you, you know you're going to be doing gardening over that that. That's Easter weekend. Yeah, come in, come to the garden centre, get all what you need, so you yeah, I'm prepared to use yeah, that Sunday to the full, because uh, if, if the weather's uh, good, you can enjoy obviously a barbecue, enjoy the outdoors, and uh, get your your gardening tasks done um, in a nice relaxed way. That's it. And one of my favourite vegetables, but mm. I know it's a bit of a love it or hate it type vegetable, is asparagus. And mm. it's National Asparagus Day on 23rd of April, isn't it? It is, yes. And uh, I think we're, we're quite lucky, obviously, being in North Buckinghamshire um, for, for growing it. But obviously, you have to go really well. Do we have to go further afield, Peter? For no, it? Yeah. Well, mate, we've got Newton Purcell, which is just down the road, and Westbury. Mm. To my knowledge, are our most local um, asparagus farms and I think historically Newton Purcell we had they used to supply us here at the garden centre with Mm. fresh asparagus and it's not the quickest and easiest plant to grow is it Chris it takes a couple of years it takes 
I'd say it takes a couple of years. It takes a bit of commitment as well for space because it's quite a demanding crop for the amount of space you need to do it. And creating asparagus beds, yeah, you're going to have to dig the soil well. You're going to have to make sure all your your, your, your perennial weeds are are, are, are removed. Um, and then obviously you need to buy yourself some decent crowns, asparagus crowns, which, I mean, at the moment in the, in the shop we sell asparagus crowns, a number of varieties from Taylor's bulbs, so you can start those off. Yep. Uh, they're usually one year old, um, and sometimes we get them as, as as plants as well, depending on on the season. But yeah, they you're looking at probably two to three years before you start cutting your first uh, spikes or is sprouts. 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 Is it a sprout or shoots? Would they be a shoot? Asparagus shoots. Yes, yeah. of course. Yes. <laughs> get the term uh, right. <laughs> and the so- uh, I, I can remember my parents um, grew some Pacific purple, which. I seem to remember we made a raised bed for them. Mm-hmm. And now, am I right in saying they like a nice, sort of light, sandy soil, but Perfect. with yes. a fair bit of nutrients in it? So yeah, we had to sort of prepare the soil well. And yeah, certainly three, four years later, I think we used to get maybe, I would say, two or three meals. Of half a dozen plants. That so. sounds about right, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're so quite intensive, they are, as you yeah. say. And of course, you you know you um, you need to get nutrients on them. And they often recommend sort of mulching the soil really well, so putting a nice organic layer, which then will then feed the soil. Um, the other thing, of course, is when when the asparagus has, has been cropped, you get this amazing amount of of plumage foliage. Mm, uh, it's lovely. Isn't it is fantastic foliage actually, and of course, it has lovely sort of autumn colour as well. So, actually, in the garden, if you if you were clever with your planting where you, you know your, your asparagus bed is, it, it can make quite a nice feature for for later on in the summer. But it is it is quite demanding, but it's worth it. And of course, uh, you know the cost of asparagus, and it's one of those things these days we tend to get. So much out of season, isn't it? Something which is yep. obviously imported, uh, which is a little bit of a shame because I think if you buy obviously uh, locally sourced, it's going to taste so much better and, uh, and the less air miles. And indeed, yeah, for better, all the right reasons. Better for all the right reasons. Yeah, that's it. Mm. and uh, yeah, cooked well, maybe not cooked too well. You, you usually get some. No, <laughs> yes, I think uh, I think we all know that the situation certainly in and in, uh, in the household of, of the days we we tend to overcook. I think asparagus that's probably our downfall. So lightly steam, yes, steamed or stir fry. I love that it's chopped mm. up in a stir fry. I mean, uh, or, or mm. as a roast, um, as a, a vegetable with a roast, it's always Lovely. nice. But yes. Yeah. And this month's top five. What are we doing? Summer bulbs. Chris? Summer bulbs. Yes. So interesting, top- isn't it? I was quite surprised by this list. And um, mm. what what breaks it at number five? So cascading begonia pink. Okay. Number four. Cascade begonia orange. Number three. Cascade begonia red. We've got a cascade. Is it for number two? It is. It's the yellow for number two. However, we do have a number one, which isn't a begonia. And what's that? Agapanthus blue. Brilliant. Excellent. So quite a different sort of what you'd expect at this time of year. In view of the fact we're selling things like lilies and such like, but obviously we're selling volume. Yeah, masses and masses of begonias. Yeah, yeah. And they're such a wonderful sort of plant, aren't they? I, I like them in a hanging basket where you've got... I mean, they give you a bit of height. They mm. sort of... And the pendulous habit of them and the fact you're looking up into the flowers yep. is really good. And I love the, the sort of tissue paper quality of begonias. They look so fragile, but actually they're quite robust 
as as, uh, as as training plants, which obviously these are. But um, in a way, it, it, it puts a smile on my face because it, you know, if, if this is a new sort of trend, we're seeing that people are getting con- connected to begonias again, and that's a, a really well, good thing. Yeah, because they were really, I'm going to say, popular in the '60s, and mm. they're sort of one of the original bedding plants, if I could say that. And yep. I mean, the nice foliage color and the flowers uh, yeah. go on and on, and yeah, yeah they're a really good. Good plant to grow. And how about sort of division? Mm. Can, do you have to buy them new each year, Chris, or can you sort of keep them going? And yes. So what you do normally, yes, you, you start your tubers off now, um, and when you look at a, a begonia tuber, it's got a sort of a, a concave bit, sort of a, sort of the, the concave bit and the, the convex bit at the bottom. So yep. make sure the the the, um, the the concave bit is pointing upwards, and just slightly bury them so they're just so you can see into the the sort of if I do the analogy of the volcano of the plant, okay, yeah, and then keep the compost nice and moist, and you'll find within literally a few weeks that the plants start to then produce some roots. You start to see little shoots, and at that stage, you can then, if the shoots are forming across the the top of the plateau of the the tuber, you could actually then cut the tuber in half, assuming it's a okay. good size, of course. So, I mean, our size tubers in, that we're selling are a good size, so you could possibly divide them for year one, maybe wait until year two or three, yeah, um, and you just use a nice, nice sharp knife cut down so you make sure you've got shoots on either side of the tuber uh, leave them for 24 hours maybe 48 hours to callus over and then plant them back into some nice compost again peak free and off you go so we're looking for a tuber maybe what two three inches i'd say yeah probably sort of th- round or maybe three or four th- yeah three inches minimum i'd say that would be okay. good but you will find as i found the other day when i was in my greenhouse you know they do be- become quite large in time after about three years they'll they'll get over to probably four to five inches across yes and so yeah almost a side plate sort of size but yes and can you divide that into maybe three plant or three split it three ways or would you only have a half it I personally just probably half it, yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good way of doing it. And, of course, with most tu- uh, tuberous begonias, they, they can be a bit slow to get going, but once the momentum sort of picks up, they they, they, they are greedy plants. They need lots of feed. So good old tomorite, that's what I tend to use on mine in my containers, and they, they, they flourish. And, of course, if you're growing the upright ones, which, of course, our top ten doesn't include, but I know we do sell some of the upright varieties, yep. make sure they're well-staked because they can, those stems can get quite brittle. Right. Um, so in that case, if you're in a sort of windy garden, grow the Cascade varieties because they're going to be a lot easier, a lot easier to manage. And you can enjoy those flowers right through to the first frost. So you need to be bringing them in around about the end of October before uh, they get frosted badly. Fantastic. Thanks, Chris. And jobs in the garden. Now, Chris, you're going to be amazed here. I've had the rotavator out and I've been down the allotment. And wow. I've... Okay. Before the start of April, I've even rotivated all my allotments. That's, that's good news. I'm quite proud this year. And the weather's been good for it, hasn't it? It's yeah. been, yeah, no, I mean, like we were saying earlier, it's been very dry, mm. so the soil's very workable at the moment, or certainly has, no, it, it was back in March. And mm. it, interesting that, obviously, historically, we would be planting potatoes, I'm going to say sort of April time, you, you referenced the fact that Easter weekend is mm. the time for your main crop. And this year, I, I sort of see the daffodils have been out now for a few weeks. Mm. Yes, my tulips have been our own flower. I've, I've never had tulips in flower at the, the, the very end of, of March. It's always been April, 
obviously May. Traditionally, tulips are May, even into early June. So Yeah, you think they're the sort of start of summer, the tulips mm. all come out, but this year they certainly seem very early, don't they? Yeah, which goes to show that they, the recent news reports, I'm sure people have read about the fact that we are at least a month early this year, is boding well. I mean, and, and the trouble is that has a big consequence on our, obviously, our uh, bees, our wildlife out there, because suddenly food sources are there earlier uh, which obviously can cause a few few issues of uh, of supply. Yeah, and I suppose if they are growing that much earlier, we probably need to be thinking about feeding them as well, do we? F- yeah, feeding and maybe fleecing if Jack Frost makes a return uh, in, in the not too distant future. So make sure you've got some fleece handy to uh, to keep those nice and uh, clear. And thinking a little bit more about fertilisers, Chris, I mean, obviously towards the end of the month we're planting vegetables out mm. what's your favorite type of sort of fertilizer to start the plants off with mm. if i'm in a very organic mood i would go down blood fish and bone to be honest with you good okay. good, good and reliable um and obviously especially if you've got fruit you know fruit trees or soft fruit perfect for my veg i'd probably go for something like national grow more because that's balanced Seven, seven, seven. However, it doesn't contain the trace elements. So, if you've got crops which are a bit more pernickety, um, I'm thinking, you know, things like once we get our sweet corn planted out, they can be a bit pedantic about having extra iron and, you know, uh, boron in the okay. mix here. Uh, and then, of course, Vitax Q4. I know we, we often mention the product, but it's so good because it is pretty balanced, but it has all the all the trace elements yeah, as well. it's all the vitamins which, of course, our plants need. So, I mean, those three, I mean, if you only had to feed your garden with, you know, three feeds, those three would do do, do some really good results. And, of course, um, in view of the, the way prices are going, it probably might be worth stockpiling some of your fertilisers yeah, as well. Good point there, yeah, because um, I've not thought about that. But then, hopefully, chicken manure, yeah. I mean, that is that a more high nitrogen sort of type feed? Yes, I think... So not quite yet, and that's more in season. I would say once we get into, next, you know, into the month of May, when things are moving at quite a, a reasonable speed or need that little bit of a pick-me-up. Maybe he's got some uh, brassicas and things which have been sitting in the soil through the spring and not putting a lot of growth on. Then I would probably give them a bit of a dressing of, uh, of chicken manure. Absolutely fine and, you know, use it carefully, wisely, absolutely no problems at all. But as I say, it puts a lot of leafy growth on, which, of course, we've still got frost around until the end of May. Yeah, you've um, got to be a bit careful, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And I've been mowing my lawn now for last couple of weeks, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah, great. It, not often that you, uh, historically, that I've ever mown my lawn back in March, but obviously mm-hmm. picked up some really good tips from David Hedges Gower in our podcast mm-hmm. last last month, uh, yes. last month, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. About the fact that he doesn't see a problem with mowing your lawn all year round. Indeed, so just I, I'd never really thought about it, but yes, certainly the first cut. My lawn was quite long, and you pull the height right down, and obviously where the grass had grown really well, it was quite yellow. Mm. So do you think it's worth feeding the lawn? Yes. I mean, that yellow, as you say, is probably the fact that the light's not got quite down to it. Certainly getting some light into it now, obviously a bit of moisture. I suspect it's a combination, Peter, of of dryness as much as anything as well, because we've been so dry for the last last few weeks um no doubt that that, that will change as we as we head through april april showers traditionally yep. is the best time to apply a lawn feed because you've got natural so it washes all the needs yes. i've historically used evergreen mm. extra and that's a granule and like you say so if you've got a 
you, I look at the forecast and think, oh, it's forecast rain in a couple of days' time. Perfect. Bang it on. And yeah. As long as you haven't lawn, cut the lawn that day, it's generally good, isn't it? It is, yeah. You need to watch the weather forecast, really. And remember, if if, if rain isn't obliging, then obviously you can artificially irrigate with a, a sprinkler just for an hour or two, if you can. Yeah. That will be good as well. But I think it's important with, with lawn you know lawn care that you, know, you work with the weather. I think it's like anything, isn't it? If take the seize the opportunity, like we've been seizing the opportunity, is to to cut our grass more regularly then uh, the, the you know the lawn will recover it, it's the first to ever show signs of stress and it's obviously the first thing to recover as well and the other thing that i picked up from david's podcast mm. was um sharpening the lawn uh, the the lawnmower blade i actually got my file out and gave Excellent. it a little tr- uh, sort of file down mm. and yeah. makes all the difference doesn't it yeah we'll wait and see okay. uh, hopefully <laughs> yes <laughs> And it must be time to start thinking about f- sowing some vegetables, isn't it, Chris? Yes, I'm sure a lot of people have already been get- getting on with their lettuce and their spring onion and maybe uh, carrots perhaps last month. But this is the month for the more more tender veggies, isn't it? So, yep. yeah, your beans, your runners, French, um, and maybe obviously things like uh, like sweet corn and, and your tomato plants. Peppers, presumably. Yeah, peppers yeah. would be good, and aubergines, of course, anything which you know really needs the warmth. And certainly, growing, you know, sowing those on a, in a small pot on a windowsill uh, is usually the best way. Get them through; they'll probably generate within 10, 10 days. Normally, they'll be through, and try and pot them on quickly. They need. I think with these sort of plants, you need to move them on quite quickly. Don't have them hanging around too long in the uh, in, in the in pots. Otherwise, they get quite re- root bound. They do. They? Yeah, keep moving them on, and of course, because you're moving them on, they're <laughs> they're going to grow quite quickly as well. So. You know, bear in mind that you've got to still got to, you know, if you start sowing at the beginning of this month, you know, middle of May, that's six weeks away. You've got to sort of plan to see how the plants progress there. But keeping yep. them on a windowsill, they're going to grow fine. Uh, or if you've got a, you know, greenhouse with a bit of, bit of heat or a bit of protection through the through the uh, any chilly nights ahead of this month, and they will be fine. Keep them well turned. You know, make sure you get nice balanced growth with uh, windowsill propagation. That's the key. That's a good point. Time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was looking through the seed stands the other day. And on mm. the Seeds of Italy stand, there's mm. Padron peppers. Oh, you ever yeah. had Padron peppers? I've never. No, they sound intriguing. So, in this country, I can only ever find them in Waitrose, mm. of all places. And it's a dish you get out in Spain, and really, they're a couple of inch long, sort of green peppers. Okay. And you fry them up with a bit of olive oil and then serve them with salt. And they're just lovely sort of nibbly things to mm. eat. But mm. I, I saw the seeds available, like I say, from Seeds of Italy. So I was thinking maybe I might try grow those this mm. year. But are peppers, are they more a tropical plant? Or might, do, I, do I need a green greenhouse? Or No, I think if you want to extend the season with your peppers, so at the end of the season, you can, often you bring them inside a, a conservatory, sun's right. plenty of light, and they will carry on growing. Okay. I think the hard work, in a way, is... The hard work is replaced by our summer. So if you get some nice strong plants through the summer, producing flowers, producing some nice fruits, then keep the continuity going by bringing them inside probably the end of September and give them warmth. And you should find, uh, anecdotally, I've got a friend of ours who who grows uh, peppers right through, through the winter. And, really, and they grow really well. I mean, obviously the light levels are low, but the, you know it's frost-free conservatory, probably around about the, the mid fifties, early early sixties, so around about sort of sixteen degrees. Yeah, and it's fine, and you will we'll be able to crop those quite well. So, I think it's what you do this summer will dictate how well the plants potentially will do in the in the winter. 
but okay. definitely give them a go, I would right. say, yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that, Chris. And anything else we need to be thinking about at the moment, Chris? Yes, Peter. I think um, certainly if you've got pl- loads of climbers in your garden, um, I was looking at my clematis the other day, actually. It's putting lots of growth on now. Yep. If it's a bit unworldly, move it, get some uh, some twine, some raffia out and sort of tie those stems in. If you've got your uh, your climbing roses and they've been obviously trimmed back, back in February when we, we recommended that you do it, you'll find you've got lots of shoots which will need to be tied in and, and give the plant space as well. So... Uh, make sure everything's you know nice and secure because they're going to start putting lots of growth on yep. as, as they run up to flower. And then the other thing really is um, this month is a perfect time to move anything evergreen. So if you've got, and I'm talking about evergreen plants, perhaps maybe sort of knee high, maybe a little bit taller than that, nothing huge. Yep. But you can move them quite safely. You'll need to take a really good planting hole um, out in preparation. So improve the soil really well, have that yeah. ready. And then get yourself a nice sharp spade and take out as much of the root ball you can physically carry. So it might, yep. it might be a two-person operation. It might be a family move. But if you've got to move things like, you know, like we talked about rhododendrons, pyrus, uh, even a small conifer might be just out of place or it might have grown too big. Get it moved now and obviously give it lots of water when you've moved it. Yep. Uh, put a little bit of nutrient in the in the, the planting hole as well. A bit of blood fish and bone or Vitax. Give the plant a good start. You'll need to give it lots of copious amounts of watering through that transition. But generally, they will, t- they will transplant so much better in April, May uh, or October, September, October than the rest of the year. So... Yeah, it's a good opportunity yeah. to do and get it get it done. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you think they're putting their new roots out this this time of year, so yeah, exactly. you cut them back and, like you say, so long as you water them, then they do do well. So, yeah, thinking about moving things, I can remember we moved a euonymus hedge here mm. many years ago, and I want to say we did it early June time, mm. but it survived i mean we had to water it every day mm. to start off with but it made a fabulous hedge and yeah. it did really really well i was really pleased to see it move that, it? that's really good to hear and the thing is when you prune you, you 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 obviously you root prune as you you transplant and that stimulates the plant into growth so yeah. it can sort of be a little bit of a delayed reaction but usually within sort of four to six months it starts to put new growth above soil level but obviously it's what it does below soil level which is important as far as the the, the, the watering and feeding this summer but uh, yeah g- give it a go if, if you need to move something do it do it now brilliant okay and our next podcast coming up in a couple of weeks time chris who have we got we've got um rosemary hardy from hardy cottage plants um the guru of, of perennials and uh, obviously well known to many of our listeners from her amazing displays at the chelsea flower show and other rhs shows so we'll be chatting to her all about cottage garden plants yeah because she won is it 24 yes. chelsea gold, gold medals, medals. yeah and, and uh, yeah amazing yes yeah, so yeah. Uh, looking forward to that interview be great yes okay well thank you very much chris thank you peter today's show was brought to you by buckingham garden center and nurseries the show was hosted by chris day and peter brown the show was produced by peter brown and our thanks to chilton music therapy for providing the music thanks for listening at chilton music therapy we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives from parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. 
We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.